0: Welcome to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage, brought to you by two people who've covered the club more than anyone else in their respective disciplines. And thanks, as always, to Moon Taxi for providing our opening and closing music, and to the 440 Sports Network for letting two longtime Nashville soccer
1: nuts. Have microphones. I'm Wes Bowling, radio analyst for Nashville Soccer Club. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Welcome, Wes. Welcome to you, too, to our first actual episode. Uh, The preseason that barely was is nearly over. Uh, The boys in gold are one friendly away from their first match against FC Cincinnati. It'll all be here in the flap of Tucker Hume's wings.
0: The flap of Tucker Hume's wings. I like it. That's a pretty slow flap, though, right? Like, he's pretty deliberate in his taunting. So it's going to it's gonna seem like it should be fast, and yet it's going to go a little slower than we expect.
1: Yeah, you know, he's a man of many talents, a man of great height, and a man <laughs> who, at the very least, is able to flap his wings at, at the pace that he wants to go at.
0: Ah, the old boogeyman for FC Cincinnati getting referenced in the first minute of our first official actual episode. It just feels good to be talking Nashville SC and FC Cincinnati. What doesn't feel as good though is that really there's not much that's transpired since we talked to you last. One friendly but only two so far in preseason. And so tonight we're going to talk about what happens between now and kickoff on April 17th. And could the boys in gold have a golden pun intended, as always on this podcast, opportunity to win a trophy in year two of their existence. We've got the answers. Plus, we got a ton of your questions after our pilot episode. And so we decided to make you guys our first ever guest, Tim.
1: Tons of questions coming our way. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. a lot of really good questions, too. It's not about the volume. It's, it's the quantity and the quality that I'm really looking forward to. And we want to be the Thinking Man's
0: podcast, whether it's I'm thinking about tactics and formations or i'm thinking about what's in the beer fridge at the end of a work day uh whatever you th- got
1: just about all that we got just about all of
0: that. <laughs> we did we did including my favorite the first number to be retired One of many questions that we'll be discussing here in just a few moments. But before we get into that, we are both men who like structure. We like predictability. We're like Gary Smith with his central midfielders and central defense. We like to set things up and understand what's coming. So we're going to do that for you right now and talk about the format of each show. Subject to change, of course. First, we're going to start with the early shout. That'll be things that caught our eye this week. Things you might not know about those things that caught our eye. We'll go beneath the obvious and go a little more in-depth with our observations observations on what we're hearing from the club about those various topics. Then we'll get into a discussion and debate segment to be named later. If you have a good idea for that, uh, that embrace debate segment, if you will, it won't be that. Uh, but we will embrace discussion and try to, to, you know, go deep into the why and the how and not just the what. We'll have an interview segment most episodes. We'll go outside Nashville SC Soccer to a segment we will appropriately call Outside And then the final whistle, a couple of things that we're looking for moving forward, some content recommendations, anything miscellaneous that we didn't hit in the podcast. With that in mind, let's get to the early shout. Tim, are you ready? Let's get it. Nashville SC did have a preseason match this past Wednesday a rare occasion as they've had three canceled unsigned player was all over the pitch in a one nil win over the tampa bay rowdies the premier team in usl championship last year so that's two friendlies in a combined five nil scoreline against upper echelon second division sides louisville city and then tampa bay with a lot of cancellations against mls clubs in between tim if a friendly falls at img academy and nobody's there to see it Does it make a sound? Can we take anything from this?
1: Yeah, I think if bad things had happened in in this friendly, maybe you would have the opportunity to say, okay, maybe I'm a little bit worried about this. But the fact that it turned out Essentially, as expected on the scoreline, at least, I, I think I predicted a, a 1-1 draw just because you're going to see an MLS team kind of cycle through some of the depth, as we saw in the first friendly against Louisville City, and as we did see against the Tampa Bay Rowdies. But the team took care of business, got the 1-0 victory. So, no, we aren't going to have any nuanced takes from a game that we didn't see, but certainly doing the expected is, is important at this stage of preseason.
0: And it was good to see them get the job done without some key personnel. Joe Willis, John Cadiz, Daniel Rio, CJ Sapong, Don Baji, Abu Dunladi. That doesn't even count the guys who were gone on international duty like Alistair Johnston, Renda Leal, Anibal, Godoy. So, you know, you take the positives of guys coming in and, and making the most of their moment against a USL championship opponent. But not exactly the team we're going to be seeing here in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, but I do think that this is an opportunity to build some depth that, yes, you got last preseason, but over the course of last season, you really didn't build depth in the way you were expecting to uh, with 11 fewer regular season games than you expected with no trip to the U.S. Open Cup. I wonder if we'll be revisiting that topic a little bit later on in the show. But, you know, you didn't have as many game opportunities to prepare, guys, and I think you're seeing that I think Gary Smith wanted to give some of the guys that would have had that opportunity last year. He wanted to ensure, you know, since nobody can predict the future that some of them got a chance to, to get some seasoning right now.
0: There's no replacing match fitness. And I guess it is an advantage for Nashville SC to be without those three mainstays in their lineup in international duty, because those guys are getting minutes and they are playing matches. Whereas the uh, main squad has had those three matches canceled. One guy though, that, that I think could have certainly benefited from more action Rodrigo Pinheiro still hasn't come on with the ones, the wing slated to play on the right side, coming up from Uruguay, easily the most high profile offseason signing. Is there concern in your book that he's still not playing in that starting 11, getting those minutes, or, or are you just in wait and see
1: mode because it does take a long time to adjust when they come into the league? Yeah, I think a little bit of, of all of that. For starters, I think maybe some expectations could have been tempered when he signed. He is a player with a very bright future, but he is just a 21-year-old a or maybe 22 by now. I believe his birthday was in March. Uh, he is a young guy that I think when he came in, the uh, the club was expecting him to take a little bit of time to get ready. Uh, there are obviously some, even without Randall Lyle on the field, some proven options on the wings, and that's something that, He's going to have to earn his spot. I think maybe coming from a really, really low level club in in Uruguay's first division at Danubio FC, he was always the first name on the team sheet and having a different sort of experience is probably going to be good for him as he kind of develops as a player.
0: I would agree with you that it's not time to be concerned yet. It's certainly way, way premature to be to be anything resembling worried. It was interesting to hear what Gary Smith said in his press Mm -hmm. conference after the Tampa Bay match that You know, he he said what we might expect, that, that Pinheiro is talented, but is taking on a heavy workload. And we have to remember, of course, that he's adjusting off the pitch as well to a new language, to a team that has built a lot of chemistry over the past year and all came in on the same page, whereas obviously he wasn't. But Gary also said he's not exactly where he would like Pinheiro to be. But with qualifiers still about his skill, about the fact that he's got a good attitude. And the quote that stood out to me, Gary said, quote, there are things he's going to have to take on board to get himself further down the line and be ready for the first team. Tim, to me that says it's not a talent issue, it's not a work ethic issue, it's about trust, it's about fitness, and those things just take time.
1: Yeah, it's the sort of thing where he's gonna have to integrate into the team from a from a technical and tactical perspective, and he's going to have to be physically ready to play in this league. While Uruguay is a league that traditionally translates pretty well to MLS, there is still a bit of a a learning experience as a young player comes in and and needs to make that transition.
0: Yeah, Diego Rossi will tell you the potential (laughs) is high there, and certainly Uruguay about as hot in U.S. circles as the U.S. is in English circles and elsewhere in Europe right now. Uh, Five players did start that Tampa Bay friendly that we should expect to see in that first week starting eleven: Walker Zimmerman. Dave Romney, Dan Lovitz, Dax McCarty, and Alex Muehl. Another guy that made his debut, though, for Nashville SC in the friendly, Nick Hines. Didn't play against Louisville in that first match. And it sounds like he played as a winger for the club based mm-hmm. on what Gary said about him. He's another guy that should push for some time, especially as we get into talking about the potential for U.S. Open Cup and international duty taking some guys on the wing away.
1: Yeah, I think Hines is a guy that the club wouldn't have traded for him this offseason if they weren't excited about him. Now, there are obviously other reasons to trade for a homegrown player. That involve roster building and and how many guys you can fit onto your roster. You have to have at least two homegrown players if you want to have a full 30 man roster. But at the same time, seeing a guy who's brought in as a fullback, able to contribute on the wing, even in a friendly against the USL side, that's still something that displays a, a little bit of versatility that you can really use going forward. We got a great mailbag question from Will Reiners
0: who asked what's the biggest lineup question Gary Smith still needs to answer. We'll address it up here because I think the wing is the most interesting place right now. If Pinheiro is not quite ready, you have Alex Muiol over there. You have Henwala Buana who can slide in really on either side, although he might specialize uh, in the left. Nick Hines working his way into that equation as well. I don't know about you, but I think that is easily the biggest question. You could throw striker in there as well, but that one to me is not a sink or swim based on the guy you choose. There are a lot of of you know proven producers who can slide it up top.
1: Yeah, I think you nailed it with the striker position. It's you don't know which of probably four fairly similar players is going to play, but you know whichever one ends up beating out the other three is gonna be a really successful guy there. Whereas maybe at a position like wing there are some options where you say hey if if it's not the top couple guys do we know if we're gonna have the same level of success there and i think yeah i think that's a really good point next up birmingham legion
0: another usl championship squad which means the dress rehearsal for the cincy opener is against another second division team and tim no matches against mls competition despite their best efforts they had scheduled <laughs> three and none of them ended up happening new york red bulls new york city fc and inter miami Is that a concern to you? And this echoes Logan Elliott's mailbag question.
1: Is it concerning that there were no matches against fellow MLS squads? Usually they like to try to get a few in. In an ideal world, you would like to have had competition against an MLS side. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. And I would be a little bit more concerned about it if that weren't pretty much the norm for probably half of the league untested against MLS competition in this preseason. Uh, It's not ideal, but it's something that almost everyone's going to have to deal with. So yes, you would have liked to see an MLS side. We don't know how good this team is going to look when that competition level is, is somebody who's ostensibly at the same level as them. So it's something that it leaves question marks more than it gives me concern for sure. I would agree.
0: I think there's a mild concern in my book up top because John Arcadiz and Daniel Rios haven't had a chance to get in. We mentioned, you know, Baji sitting this last one, the back line seems seamless. Chemistry seems there. They've not allowed a goal in 180 preseason minutes. Again, as we discussed, not really worried about who they slide in up top, but you want that chemistry. You want guys to be clicking. And I think, you know, Nashville SC fans can be concerned, um, mildly so just a little bit that that those guys haven't had a chance to get in their in their typical preseason rhythm and a Cincy team they play in week one say a lot of things about Cincy and most negative things are going to be right, but they can be cagey. That defense had seven clean sheets last year and was improved over the shambolic performance that they put together in year one.
1: Yeah, I think you'd be a little bit more concerned about Nashville SC playing only USL caliber competition if they were starting the year uh, with a club that was not USL caliber competition as well.
0: That is well said. Can't top that. And Nashville SC's schedule really does stack up nicely for them in the early going for a team that had a few free season matches canceled as did many others. Of course it is Cincy. It is Montreal. It is inter Miami. Three teams that finished the season below Nashville SC last year. Let's embrace debate and stick with that topic and talk about us open cup Tim, because the top eight teams in major league soccer after those first three matches will get the bid into a 16 team us open cup. Could work out really well for Nashville, given that schedule. Is it the
1: right way? Is it even a good way, though, to choose the participants in that classic tournament? Yeah, I don't think it is because of how kind of inequitable it is going to end up being. Fortunately for Nashville, they have the easiest schedule of any club based on what the teams did last year. So that, you know, while it is an unfair overall method of determining, um, it's something that's going to be beneficial to Nashville. So I don't think you're going to hear a whole lot of tears hitting the ground in Music City. Yeah, I think
0: it's definitely inequitable. It won't be indicative of team quality. There are a few selection methods that could have been equally easy, but maybe a little more creative. You know, top playoff finishers not in CCL. You've got Nashville in there, Seattle, Minnesota, New England, Orlando, Dallas, SKC. A final spot could go to a blind draw. Those first-round playoff losers scrapping uh, Montreal from that, obviously. Uh, Or maybe the top eight MLS finishers last year who've never won a trophy. You know, make it a novel opportunity to hoist some silverware for a team for the first time. Maybe a a mild coincidence or maybe not that Nashville SC would have benefited from both of those scenarios, but I think there were some <laughs> things you could have done a short, I think you're of, up to something here, man, maybe just a little bit of rigging. I want some, some U S open cup uh, action on the radio this year and we might have it. That That's the next question, you know, given the way things break, I mean, do you think Nashville ends up
1: participating in this tournament based on those first three matches? Yeah, I have to think so. They're going to not only see those first three matches as an opportunity to make the U S open cup, but an opportunity to, host three teams that were pretty poor on the road. Uh, all three games at home, Nashville's the only club in, in MLS that has the first three games at home. So that's something that is going to be a huge benefit for them when you look at Cincinnati, historically poor in their first year, much better, but still pretty poor last year. Montreal, still a bit of a nomad club. Miami performed pretty well, but couldn't convert a lot of the time last year that's three teams that if you're bringing them into nissan stadium you feel pretty good about saying hey if we get seven points here if we get you know nine points here nine points is obviously a guarantee of, of making it into the u.s open cup at that point point." and i think it's not out of the realm of possibility that they do sweep all three of those games
0: nashville's combined record against those first three opponents Last year it was 3-0-1, and the Boys in Gold, after the restart, lost just once in 10 matches against teams that were below them in the standings. So Montreal a work in progress, as you've said. Inter-Miami, who knows what they are, except maybe we, Britain, there in, in South Florida with, with Ryan Shawcross and Kieran Gibbs coming in and some others. It's, it's going to be interesting to see, but I, I certainly would agree that Nashville SC would be an odds-on favorite to be one of those eight squads and get off to a hot start. But then there's the question of, you know, would they be better off being in the US Open Cup or in an Olympic year? Oh, sorry. World Cup qualifying year. Sore subject. Uh, and mm-hmm. Nations Cup and in, or Nations League rather and Gold Cup and all those things going on. Is it going to drain them to be in yet another competition? What do you
1: think? I think if the United States had made the Olympics, I would have thought it better to not play in the U.S. Open Cup because there's a really good chance that this team would have been spread pretty thin um, because, you know, the Olympic team is going to draw from what would otherwise be call-ups to the senior national team. And then you have a guy like Walker Zimmerman, maybe even a guy like Dave Romney um, getting called into the Gold Cup, getting called into occasional World Cup qualifiers, maybe for the less strenuous games, at least. Per expectation. So that's something that, um, you know, since the United States has uh, one fewer competition than we were expecting to participate in this summer, I think you want to be in the open cup. You want to look at it as an opportunity to win this club's first hardware as a major league soccer team. And that's something that I know, you know, from the psychology of this club that we've had the opportunity to observe over the last you know, three years and, and certainly for a year in, in Major League Soccer, they will absolutely view it as, you know, however thin we're going to be spread, we are out here to win this competition.
0: I don't doubt it. And I think this team is set up for tournament play. And we mm-hmm. saw that last year in the playoffs, you know, that the win over Inter-Miami was was academic in my book they were clearly a better team but then going up against squads that had more depth more veteran presence more talent more experience and in, in playoff matches in many cases they held their own they took columbus to extra time they beat toronto quote unquote on the road up in hartford connecticut i think it is a golden opportunity to play for a trophy and to educate the supporter base and also there are a lot of quality you know 1b backups on this team you know will it be wheel or pinheiro we don't know Buana Hines, guys who could work their way in. Todd Ryan and Nunga, Matt Lagrasse Taylor Washington. There are a lot of those guys who are going to be on the fringe of starting, who need minutes, and who are going to be hungry to prove that they belong in that starting 11 with Gary Smith. So I think between the motivation factor, between the, the story of getting to win a trophy in your second year, and between the fact that Nashville's set up to be a, a strong tournament team the way they play, I absolutely think it's it's a benefit. The one potential downside is where would home matches be played? The Nissan Stadium relationship makes things a little tricky. They're not likely, I would think, to rent out Nissan Stadium for a home U.S. Open Cup match. They might have to get it done on the road unless they have some tentative deal worked out that if Nashville's in the final, uh, you know, maybe there's a chance they host. So then, you know, getting to indoctrinate the fans and, and build that enthusiasm might be just a little bit tougher if that's happening on the road. Nonetheless, our first debate, a shoddy one, because I think we agreed on pretty (laughs) much every point, U.S. Open Cup, a a good opportunity and something that that Nashville should hope to be a part of. Anything else to add on that?
1: Yeah, just you mentioned, you know, a guy like Taylor Washington, and you mentioned six or seven other guys who are are kind of the, the number twos at a lot of the roster positions. That's exactly the sort of guy that would have benefited from having a U.S. Open Cup last year, didn't get that opportunity. Nashville wants to build depth from within by giving those guys minutes, and this is an opportunity if uh, the U.S. Open Cup does end up being something that they're able to participate in.
0: And what a benefit toward the end of the year. I remember being on play-by-play for the Nashville match at New England where Nashville did not have a forward in the lineup. There were, there were no number nines. You could, you could try to classify somebody if you wanted as a forward that's really more of an attacking mid, but basically there was not a striker on the team. Uh, you talk about that. You talk about going down to Houston. Matches where if you have developed that depth throughout the year, you feel much better about your chances of going into those environments when injuries have stripped you thin, when World Cup qualifying play is is taking guys away. I think that depth is going to be crucial this year. Developing it early, early ish in the season would be would be huge with U.S. Open Cup.
1: All right, it's time for our first ever guest, yeah. and we so, have. You know what? We are so excited. We were we managed to book the 2006 Time Person of the Year you
0: (laughs) and just like with that decision this too could be construed as a bit of a cop-out but we wanted to save a really high quality guest not that you guys aren't also extremely high quality but a club connected guest for for next week for our upcoming episode to preview the season in match week and we got so many questions and comments from you on Twitter, at Club Country USA, at TN's West Bowling. Send yours now for the next episode. But we thought we would take time to just dive in to what you want to know and bring your questions to the forefront. And we'll start with Jason Petty, head of the Assembly. How do you define realistic success for 2021? And I'll jump on this one because I think it's a it's a murky question. I think realistic success, if you looked two years ago at at what year two looks like, it was maybe you squeak into the playoffs and you make it to the conference semifinals. And then Nashville did that in year one. (laughs) So I think success looks like improving on last year's seventh place finish in the table. I think if you can solidify yourself as a playoff team and get in, not as the last team, I think making that U S open cup run and giving yourselves a shot at a trophy, even if you don't end up winning it, getting to the semifinals, getting to the final, beating MLS competition in U S open cup. And then I look at June and July for off field reasons, there's a five match homestand there and it's against good competition for the most part. If you win the majority of your matches in that five match homestand, when fans are hopefully able to be in at more than the 22,000 that we're at now, if we can do that safely and you beat a Toronto FC in Atlanta, a Chicago, a Philadelphia union supporter shield winners from a year ago, I think taking a majority of matches in that homestand and improving on last year's finish, Tim, I think that's success for me. What about you?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, all those on-field things are are very important. They're clearly more important than anything that can happen off the field, but I think a measure of success has to come from capturing the hearts and minds of the Nashville community and and that's one way to do it is when you have that many home games in a row that you can kind of build momentum going forward between uh, the fans and the community throughout Nashville and kind of say, Hey, we're more than just another team in town. We are a team that represents this town. And I think getting people behind this club is, is, maybe something that hasn't happened quite as quickly as everyone would have wanted. And of course uh, there are a ton of reasons for that last year with the pandemic, uh, not least among them, but it's going to be something where if the club can not only find the sort of success that you mentioned on the field, I think you hit all the benchmarks for success that I would agree with, but if they can turn that into off field success as well, that'd be huge.
0: What would be the odds if I'm putting you on the spot, what are your odds that Nashville SC makes the playoffs this year?
1: Uh, very high i would i well over 50 percent I know the national zeitgeist is not quite as high on this club despite finishing in, a, in what would have been a playoff spot last year even in this year's table but i would i would put it at probably 65 percent if other teams beat Nashville for that spot, it's
0: going to be because of injuries or because somebody emerges that we didn't expect to emerge. Chicago fire finds a defense in the last 15 minutes of matches. Inter Miami puts it together. Atlanta experiences a resurgence. I think competition's tough, but I, I would tend to agree the odds are with it rather than against
1: it. Yeah. And I think one thing that, that a lot of people look at and say, okay, this Nashville team didn't get a ton better in terms of off season acquisitions to the, to the lineup. But, When you look at how this team grew into last season, if you say, okay, that's the new starting point and they build from there Uh, as the chemistry builds, they go from a team that, you know, captured, um, you know, however many points it was out of the last eight regular season matches and gets better from there rather than starting from two losses and and kind of finding their feet a little bit over the course of the season. You can see a lot more growth that maybe doesn't turn them into, uh, you know, the, 2017 Atlanta United team that's wowing everybody and, and lighting up the pitch, but they're going to win a whole lot of soccer. games. I see chemistry building
0: in, and building in a predictable stable way rather than yeah. trying to revolutionize something that didn't need recreating. Mm-hmm. I agree. Important question from 10 Gunner. It's not really an important question, but he's a Gunners fan. so I will, um, I will <laughs> indulge him early on with the addition of tempo as mascot is the official nickname of Nashville SC. Now the soccer Coyotes, and Jerry responds, maybe Yotes to be hip. What do you think?
1: Yes, that's right. <laughs> the Yotes. I'm with I'm with Jerry. Go with the Abreve for sure.
0: The Yotes. Yeah, some folks in Phoenix, Arizona might have some issues, but they don't only really have fans show up <laughs> at their hockey games anyway. So the Yotes it is. All right, we'll work that into some, uh, some broadcasts this year on the radio side. Be sure to listen. 94.9 FM, shameless plug. All right, moving on to John Obenreich, whose last name I probably butchered, and I apologize, John. got your first name right, though. Given the depth that Nashville has put together, he says, I'm really interested in what happens at training. What are they working on, and how does a player earn a starting spot? And I think that taps back into that question of chemistry. This is a group that consensus basically holds that they did a lot less fitness work in the first couple weeks of training than they usually have to because guys came in in shape. They worked out together a lot in the offseason. Walker Zimmerman spoke up on the Call Up, great MLS podcast, and said they mostly arrived in great shape and can focus more on the tactical work. So I think early on, Tim, they've not been having to do the fitness work. They've been able to to drill themselves to to make sure that, that they're ready to go tactically. And, and how do you earn a spot? I think with Gary Smith, as with any manager, but especially with Gary Smith, it's about earning his trust. You know, he's not the type who's going to bring in a, a sexy number nine and expect him to be on the pitch right away, right? Like he wants guys to earn his trust, to play the right way, to track back. Look at what Randall Leal did in in his first year that maybe wasn't expected. I think to, to simplify the answer, unless you disagree, I think that's it. Earn a spot by earning Gary's trust.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, can't speak to what has gone on at training this year. Um, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to, to stop in and check it out. But based on what we've seen over the past, I would say earning a starting spot is something that it's actually pretty difficult because you have your you're essentially your starting 11 that I think Gary trusts and they typically come out and, and play with that 11 in their um, tactical install and things like that. Obviously, you see week to week changes in the personnel, but there's really only a group of, of probably seven guys who are, who are working with that group that can kind of mix in. Other guys are even on another field sometimes, and you really have to impress on that other field. And I think, uh, especially with the experience of the current coaching staff, if a guy does impress on that other field, he's going to have the opportunity to come in and earn that spot. But it is an uphill battle if you don't kind of seize the opportunities that you have in this preseason phase of the year when things are a little bit more equal for everyone. So I think that that's the really... I guess kind of exciting part for some of these guys who are maybe new to the club saying, okay, this is my chance through the first, maybe three or four regular season weeks. I have to do it. Otherwise it's going to get a lot tougher after that. And Gary is not afraid to take a chance
0: and throw somebody Mm -hmm. into action that he believes in. See Alan win against Atlanta last year in match one. He's also not afraid to put somebody out on that field and leave them there. If they get in the doghouse or, or don't fulfill on field responsibility and miss opportunities. See, Allen Win last year when he he missed a, a clear cut opportunity and we barely heard from him again last year so it will be interesting to see which players emerge and maybe which fizzle this year, every team seems to have a few, a few of each. Uh, Chris Hull says, I love that many of our team members are international players for their home countries, but what impact will it have on the team when Leal, Godoy, Zimmerman, maybe even Lovitz and Willis leave at the same time for international competition this summer? It's the question, really, Tim, that Nashville SC is asking and that everybody's asking about their teams.
1: Yeah. First, I want to give a shout out to Chris. I believe extra time on Thursday called him a, a rapidly emerging legend because he's, <laughs> uh, he's so good with the mailbag questions. Hope so keep that up with us too, Chris. Uh, really appreciate it, man. But yeah, I think that that's something that Gary Smith knows is a possibility. That's why you bring in maybe a guy like, uh, Alex wheel, who is a very, very good MLS player. He's not most likely getting called up to the United States men's national team. He can step in and play a role when Randall Layall is unavailable. That's why you bring in a guy like Robert Castellanos. He's not getting called in to the United States. He's certainly not getting called into Mexico, which I think has an even stronger uh, team at this point, unfortunately. So you have the depth that is at a level that can compete and can succeed in MLS. Probably not replacing Walker Zimmerman like for like and saying, okay, cool. We're getting the exact same level of performance as we would have if the defensive player of the year wasn't out competing in the gold cup or what have you. But You certainly have a guy that you can plug in that again you know i think the theme of this section is going to be trust gary smith feels that he can trust all the guys that he has and that's something that um, even if you get a slight decrease in level of performance from a guy like walker zimmerman or from a guy like dan lovitz i don't think they're gonna really lose a ton of sleep plugging jack mayer in for zimmerman plugging a guy like taylor washington in for lovitz fun question from john mueller with your and tim's intimate knowledge of this team
0: could you do some high school style superlatives what are some of the best unknown or untold stories about this group of players and finally are you counting down until the first game at pedal tavern stadium no comment on that last one i think a pedal (laughs) tavern would be very dangerous to have near a lazy river inside joke with the has-been sports folks there i'll give a couple of of superlatives that stand out to me best right hook goes to mr gary smith Believe it or not, he is an avid boxer in his spare time, has a punching bag, and loves to box as part of his workout regimen. And I asked him one time, do you especially enjoy hitting the punching bag after a loss? He said, you have no idea. So again, I don't think he's prone to punch anybody else, but the the, the boxing against the bag itself is, I think, a regular highlight of his workout regimen. So best right hook goes to Gary Smith. Tim, you got one?
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's not exactly a high school award. At least I would hope my most, most high school yearbooks don't give out the award. Well, but same Mr. for Mom- same for best right hook, by the way. It'll be that's, <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. The, the Mr. Mom Award has to go to Dax McCarty. I think everybody's well aware that he and his wife have a young son, Callum, who is who is adorable on all social media. Um, seeing Dax be reunited with him after their trip to Florida over the past couple weeks on on Instagram, the last couple days was awesome. Everybody knows him. Everybody loves Dax. So it's probably the least surprising thing of all time but i think that's something that's it's very heartwarming as somebody who also uh, as both of us have young children as well
0: any athletes who can have young kids and still perform at a top level i sometimes can't type an email at a top level after a long (laughs) night so such respect the call-up by the way had a a, a baby shower if you will for walker zerman and dax mccarty came on and gave some good parenting tips they were great it's a good listen if you get a chance to uh, to tune in uh, i'll say best behind the scenes leader goes to anibal godoy he's part of an inner circle of players who have gary's ear and, and you hear about dax mccarty and joe willis uh, you hear about walker zimmerman you hear about a number of guys who have been leaders for this team but i don't know that godoy necessarily always gets that recognition. Maybe he does. Um, He's especially influential, I believe, with with Spanish-speaking players. I know when John Riccadiz was brought into the club mid-season last year, Godoy was really influential in helping integrate him into the team. And I don't think he necessarily gets that credit.
1: So I think he deserves a a shout from us here. Yeah, I I got one that is most likely to talk back to the, I guess it would be teacher in high school, but again, uh, talk back to the boss. And that is, uh, I guess I'll lay the background out first. Mike Jacobs, the general manager of this club, is a massive Knicks fan. Uh, obviously, the Knicks have not been hyper successful over the past several years. But You're being really charitable. Yeah, that pales in comparison to the struggles of Matt LaGrassa's Sacramento Kings, uh, who have just <laughs> been pretty much awful all throughout. But both of those guys absolutely love their basketball teams that are just not good. But LaGrasa is, is very willing to go back and forth with Mike about Kind of about whose team is a little worse, honestly. So that's something that I've always thought was really funny. Dating back to the first USL team even.
0: They have suffered together for a long time there. That's a race to the bottom between those two. Good thing they're better at at soccer than they are at choosing basketball teams. (laughs) Uh, My final one will be Randall Ayal, the superlative for best at strategically pretending not to be bilingual. We asked Gary Smith at one point last year, you know, how does how is he communicating? How is he adapted to the, the language in the league? He says he understands English very well. You know, he interacts well with his teammates, but he chooses not to laugh at my jokes. So Randall, <laughs> apparently turns off the ability to understand English when Gary Smith tells a joke. <laughs> Sorry, Gary.
1: And a shout out to Randall, who walked into Nashville, Tennessee, probably without knowing a lick of English, and now is, is absolutely fluent. A dude who worked his butt off, not only on the soccer field, but in Duolingo or however he did it to learn the language, too. And that is such an underrated
0: aspect of, of, of the challenge of, of acclimating to a new league, right? I mean, the language aspect, the culture aspect, of course, with a pandemic last year, with a tornado affecting multiple players last season, I think that, that we would do well to try to highlight some of those stories for you, and we would all do well to keep in mind that there's a lot more out there that these guys are dealing with, of course, whether it's new kids or uh, new languages. <laughs> Bryant WM on Twitter asks, I am worried that Zimmerman is on the outside looking in on the national team. Me too, Bryant. Number one, how can the reigning Defensive Player of the Year not even be in the rotation, let alone starting? And number two, is it better for NSC that he would be around more or better if he were getting more time with the national team? A question that was touched on a bit a bit earlier there at the end. But what about Walker? Why is he not broken in to Greg Berhalter's regular rotation?
1: It's kind of a multi-part answer. The first part is about being the Defensive Player of the Year. I think a lot of what he did to earn Defensive Player of the Year was be the best and most notable player on one of the best defenses. And that is not a slide on Walker. He is obviously an outstanding MLS player, but when you score a bunch of goals, uh, I think he scored three or four last year, in addition to kind of being the emotional leader of a defense that was as talented and as, as high performing as Nashville's was last year, that may be a little bit more important when it comes to individual awards, than maybe being perhaps the best pure player. And then following from that, You can even be the best pure player, but if you aren't necessarily a system fit for what Greg Berhalter wants to do, it's going to be a little more tough to break into that starting rotation, to break into that team at all I think when you look at Zimmerman's style, he is a risk taker. Uh, that's why he scores a lot of goals. That's uh, also we've seen it come back to bite Nashville SC a few times. So that's something that might be a little bit less excusable in the system that Greg Burhalter runs, where he wants guys who are maybe going to be a little bit less exciting, but a little bit less exciting for the positive and the negative. Yeah, Walker can take those risks when
0: you have guys like Godoy and McCarty that can support in central midfield and back up and take his spot in the heart of the defense. Even then, it cost Nashville a couple times last year. It's just a, a talented group of center backs too: Chris Richards, John Brooks, Aaron Long. You know, it's it's guys that you know, it's it's not like Walker's sitting behind USL Championship players here. You know, there's some good guys with
1: European pedigree that uh, are getting getting the shots. Yeah, so- and I think when you look at the guy who is a, a first-team lock, if he's available, is John Anthony Brooks. And who is a good compliment to him? Who is a good compliment to his style? Even within Major League Soccer, you look at Aaron Long and say, "Okay, this is a guy whose skill set is a little bit more complementary to Brooks." Whereas Walker might not be that same sort of guy. He is kind of the more rangy, athletic, running sort of guy. But if he's running forward, and, and Brooks is not the fleetest of foot. You are opening yourself up to some risks that maybe a guy like Long doesn't open up if you have Brooks as your number one guy.
0: With that said, we will see Walker Zimmerman get some chances with the national team this year. Just given the sheer volume of matches with Nations League, with Gold Cup, with World Cup qualifying, it would be shocking to not see him in the mix at some point. And maybe he has a chance to, to work his way into the, uh, the regular starting eleven. Super Duper Wyatt asks, with the surprising success of last year, at least I'll I'll annotate that and say at least externally, this club was not surprised by their success, but with surprises of last year with some great players that we have staying with the club, do you think Nashville has a good stance for the next couple of years? Also, with just last year, who do you think would be the first retired number? I'm going to go back before last year to the number three of Ropapa Minsa, of course, but it would only hang in the Ring of Honor after the 75th minute in honor of Nashville Super Sub (laughs) with a couple of legendary goals for the club at the USL championship level. If you're retiring a number based on last year alone, boy, I I mean, I think Walker's your guy, defender of the year, cornerstone of, of what you did best as a club, scored a few goals. I don't think you can go anywhere other than Zimmerman.
1: Plus the number is not one that is necessarily going to be in high demand guys like those one to 11 numbers a lot of the time that so that's not going to be something that they really regret, which I guess kind of following from that. I'm not a huge fan of retiring numbers for that reason if a guy comes along and wants to play with a number three but we retired it um, because somebody played with it earlier and had an outstanding career the value in, in not giving somebody that number for, so you can hang it in the rafters. is just not high enough to me. <laughs> so uh, obviously we're going deep into hypotheticals way down that rabbit hole, but yeah, it's, it's always been something that, um, you know, I don't want the Chicago bulls to retire Michael Jordan's number. It'd be cool to have somebody have the opportunity to say, I want to grow up and wear the number 23 for the Chicago bulls. And maybe this is all my uh, take on it coming from a college sports, Perspective where you can sell recruits on saying, "Hey, come wear the number one wide receiver jersey uh, at Michigan. Come wear the number sixteen quarterback jersey at Tennessee." whatever. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't you anymore. don't
0: bring Peyton into this. You retire that sixteen you hang <laughs> forever. Every other player in the yeah. world, though, I agree with. But
1: you. it but it can be a selling point in your recruitment. And I always sure. have thought that 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 the value of that of saying like we are a place that you can be that next guy and you can wear that number is is always something that's that's spoken to me more than saying "Ah, let's let's write it on the side of the stadium instead
0: sure put names in the ring of honor don't Mm -hmm. necessarily put jersey numbers i could get on board with that Uh, the first part of his question leads in a little bit to to john mueller's question so we'll, we'll hit on both of those at the same time he says the biggest thing for me is in gary smith mike jacobs we trust player acquisition use of assets what will they always mean to the big picture will the team make a splash signing this year will that wait until the more reliable revenue stream of the new stadium Next year, and that goes well with the first part of Wyatt's question about mm-hmm. you know, is there a good stance for the next couple of years? I think this club is always going to be stable, steady. They are a growth stock that you want to hold on to for 20 years, not one that you're gonna, that the bubble's going to burst in two. I think if the opportunity is there to spend $1.1 million in allocation money to get somebody who's going to transform you like Walker Zimmerman did last year, Mike Jacobs is going to jump on that. You know he's having those conversations behind the scenes. I cannot see this club going crazy with a a massive new DP signing when when a slot opens up at some point or spending all that gam in one place unless there's an absolutely compelling place to go. And I don't think it's necessarily because of revenue streams of the new stadium I don't have access to the books, but I would imagine a bigger factor is just that that's not the way that Mike Jacobs wants to build this club. It's not his money ball mentality. It's not the way that he, he chooses to approach potential
1: assets on the marketplace. Yeah. I think the one worry that I would have with, with kind of guaranteeing that the club is going to remain on solid footing is how do you replace Dax McCarty when he's a guy who's probably going to retire within the next two or three years. And that makes me feel so old to talk about a guy younger (laughs) than retiring soon. But He's a guy that, he's not irreplaceable, but all the intangible stuff that he brings is going to be really tough to replace. I would say uh, Jaleel Anibaba is similar, even though he gets significantly less playing time. Um, Anibal Godoy, you've already talked about as being an underrated leader. He's a little bit younger than the other two guys, but still somebody who, when he hangs him up, is there the off field leadership type stuff to replace the on field play? I will never worry about whether this club is going to be able to plug and play from a personnel tactical perspective. But I think there's really a special chemistry right now that yeah, I think that they can figure out the right guys to come in and fill those gaps. But to a certain extent, a guy like Dax McCarty, you cannot replace. You no. have to find somebody else who can do things in a, a different but similar way to, to replace that leadership. And that's going to be something that it's, it's almost unknowable. But if I were going to trust anyone to do it, I think it would be the guys that built this Nashville SC team that knew Dax was worth the, the allocation money that they spent to get him. That knew Anibal was worth significantly more allocation money that it took to get him that I think a lot of us, myself included, kind of doubted. But Mike Jacobs knew exactly what he was doing, and it's worked out exactly as he probably would have expected or at least hoped. Thanks again, everyone, for being our first
0: unofficial podcast guest. Your questions were great. Keep them coming. We'll have a mailback segment every time out. Moving outside the club, though, CONCACAF Champions League starts up Tuesday night. So tonight, if you're listening to it, when this podcast came out, Toronto FC involved from a Canadian standpoint, Portland, Atlanta, Columbus, also in, and Philadelphia Union. Is there a club that you think, Tim, has a chance at being the first ever MLS club to win CCL, or is this yet another year of heartbreak
1: for American and Canadian teams? Man, I'm real worried about it. I think... Probably everybody listening to this podcast who has read my website knows I absolutely love this competition. This is one of my favorite competitions out there. But part of the reason it's it's so appealing is because it seemingly always has the same heartbreaking ending. It's, it's not a happy story at the, at the end of the day for MLS clubs. I think the thing that I worry about with the teams that I think are the two best MLS teams competing in it, Philadelphia Union and Columbus Crew, both were outstanding. Uh, One loss between them at home last year. The problem is Columbus literally did not win on the road last year. I think Philly only won once on the road last year. Those road games in, in Central America or particularly in Mexico have long been what trips up MLS sides. And that's something that I really worry about. I don't think the rest of the MLS clubs in this competition are good enough to go down there and win them. It's With Philly and, and Columbus, it's kind of an kind of anomalous thing. There's a reason to expect that they can't do it. With the other clubs, I just don't know if the overall quality is there. And if I'm reading correctly, every
0: single MLS club will open on the road. And Philadelphia going to
1: Saprissa... There's a team going to San Pedro Sula. That's uh, Portland going to Honduras. Famous, famous San Pedro Sula. The, the tripping point for not only MLS teams, but the U.S. men's national team at times as well.
0: It is absolutely a brutal place to go and, and try to, to take away three points or or get yourself started well in an aggregate. It starts Tuesday night. I'll be tweeting about it. Sounds like Tim's going to be watching and tweeting too. Join us. Let us know what you think. CCL, it'll be on Fox Sports 1. And now getting to a darker note as we start to close things out, the U.S. under-23 men's national team failed to qualify for the Olympics yet again. Disappointing for U.S. fans, disappointing for the growth of the game as casual fans could have gotten into a a talented group of American youngsters playing in Tokyo. Ultimately, Tim, is this a big deal?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the discourse since last Sunday has been about that the Olympics aren't that big of a factor in terms of building a successful senior national team. And that's true. But I don't think that that's what makes missing on the Olympics a big deal. I think what makes missing on the Olympics a big deal is that the United States doesn't have an opportunity to change the narrative in the eyes of the average American sports fan who's far more likely to watch the Olympics than they are to watch the Gold Cup. Far more likely to watch the Olympics than they are to watch probably the World Cup. It's a situation where you can take the perception of American soccer and and instead of the average American fan, as they will do now saying, oh, it's a soccer competition. Therefore, the United States isn't in it. <laughs> uh, and, and instead saying, hey, here's a chance to at least watch them a couple of times or at least know that they're in it if you don't want to wake up at 430 to, to catch those Tokyo kickoff times. I think that's where you, it really hurts. And how much does that affect things in the long run I don't know but I think it is certainly a missed opportunity especially ahead of the 2022 World Cup and even more ahead of that 2026 World Cup that is going to be in the United States along with Canada and Mexico you really could have built a fan base to be prepped and primed and ready to see an American team make a run and now uh, it's not going to it's not going to totally doom that that effort to really capture the hearts and minds of the American public but it really prevents it from starting with a little bit more of a head start. I agree. And to create a self-sustaining system of success
0: and alliteration, apparently. Yeah, wow, that whoa. was a lot of a lot of S's. You've got to do a couple of things, right? You've got to have the technical systems in place and, and the training ability, the coaching prowess. You've got to have seeds of inspiration as well. And I think the Olympics served to, to seed the 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds out there to, to stick with the game, to become the next Daryl D. K. as if he was probably going to be let go by his club to play in the Olympics. I think it's a it's a big loss for fans, and it denies a talented generation with a chance at global supremacy. But there's no way it stunts your growth as badly as Cuva Trinidad did uh, mm-hmm. nearly four years ago now. Uh, moving on then to the final whistle, final thoughts, things we're looking for this week, maybe some content recommendations. And we had a request, Tim, I believe, from a, uh, a follower of the podcast.
1: Yeah, John, John Mueller said he was really excited that we had an explicit tag on Spotify. So I will say one curse word uh, to, to keep him happy. Uh, that's Imperio. Which is from Harry Potter, uh, which I think is how you how you force people to do things. It's one of the unforgivable curses. I don't know. Harry Potter's kind of over, but uh, I will I will implore everyone to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. That's what I command you to do using the, uh, that particular curse word. Yes. I know that was corny. Sorry, everyone. I
0: am out of my depth, but <laughs> when it comes to corny and irrelevant, I, I can get down with both of those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not out of your
1: depth in corny and irrelevant, are you?
0: Not at all. That is my wheelhouse. And that will be the <laughs> wheelhouse of this podcast. Oh, boy. All right. We've got to close on that note. We've, we've devolved into Harry Potter Thanks references. I'm embarrassed. I've embarrassed I think we're myself. done. No, that was, <laughs> it was good. Hey, it's okay. That's going to be mutual. We're going to have plenty of that on both sides. Uh, thank you guys for putting up with our mutual self embarrassment and for listening to our first full episode of Club and Country. You will want to tune in next week for our, our debut guest, unless you count yourselves, Time Magazine Style 2006. And it's going to be somebody who's insight you're not going to want to miss as the season breaks on the horizon. He will get you ready for the season like really nobody else that we could bring on to this podcast in the meantime rate review subscribe and retweet you can follow us on twitter at club country usa and at tns west bowling give at 440 sports a follow while you're at it thanks to moon taxi for providing the sounds you're hearing underneath us right now and the 440 sports network for including
1: us in its starting 11 tim any final thoughts no thanks again to everyone for submitting questions keep it up even if uh, you are not our guest each week. We'll, we would love to have your questions and have the opportunity to answer some of them. And we will take those questions
0: to our guests as well. So uh, we, will, we will tease out who that's going to be here in the coming days and give you a chance to reach out to them. In the meantime, be sure to listen to the splendid array of other content available on the 440 Sports Network, and we will see you next Tuesday. So long.